Thanks for checking out the Candeo podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at candeochurch.com. Chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy, and that will be for all the people. Today, in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly, there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. After seeing them, they reported the message that they were told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. We've been saying for the past several weeks that this passage in Luke chapter two is probably the most famous Christmas passage in all the Bible. And I think this morning that as we look at uh, the few verses that we're going to see in uh, Luke 2, 8 through 20, I think the verse that is probably the most culturally popular is verse 14, right? Where it's the angels saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those he favors. And my guess as to why, that, whether, you, whether you identify as a Christian or not, you could probably still agree with most of that. Like, and my guess as to why that might be the most culturally popular is because it really hits on something that anyone in their right mind won't really have an issue with. And that's peace. Peace on earth. I mean, it's kind of everywhere, right? I don't know what your neighborhood is like. My neighborhood has a few, a select few houses that they, they have to have spent at least like half of a year's income on the, on the decorations, right? And it's kind of like, like you see it everywhere. Like regardless if maybe it just says peace, maybe it's peace on earth, somewhere in the midst of these lawn displays is going to be something in reference to peace. You probably got a Christmas card or something in the mail that had peace on earth on it. Like it's something that we can kind of all get behind as that, that's, that's a good thing. That's, peace on earth is a, good, um, is a good ideal to have. That's a desirable thing, peace on earth. If you're an NBA fan, maybe you'll remember back in 2011 when Ron Artest played for the Lakers, he legally changed his name to Meta World Peace. Like that was his legal name, right? Like on the back of his jersey, it said world peace. And when, when asked why by the LA Times, they said, Ron, why did you change your name? He said this, this is a direct quote. Why did he change his name? He said, when fans get mad at me, they can't really say I hate world peace. 
that's one way to manage your public image, right? Like just change your name to world peace. Who can argue with world peace? Or like who in their right mind doesn't want that? But for as much as we see world peace or peace, for as much as we hear about it, for as much as we can all agree that that's a desirable thing, do we really know what it is? Everyone knows about that Christmas is about peace. But what is this peace that the angels here are singing about? What is this peace in this most famous Christmas verse? That's what we're going to answer this morning. And what we're going to do in, in, in answering that question is we're going to first see what, peace, what this peace isn't. We're going to look at what this peace is. And then we're going to answer the question, how, how do we get it? What this piece isn't, what this piece is, and how do we get it? All right, so first, what this piece isn't. What the angels are singing about here in verse 14 isn't primarily political peace or international peace. It isn't peace between nations and nations. You see, later on, we're going to stick in the book of Luke. We can, we can go other places, but, but we'll stay with the same author just for the sake of argument. So later on in the book of Luke, Jesus says in Luke 21, when you hear of wars and rebellions, don't be alarmed. Indeed, it is necessary that these things take place first, but the end won't come right away. And a verse later, Jesus is telling his disciples, that nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Why? Why is Jesus saying this to his disciples? He's, he, he's saying that until he comes again, that things are going to get worse, not better. Things are going to get worse, not better. Which means that the peace that the angels are singing is not ultimately a peace that can be achieved through pure political policy. Don't be surprised when you hear rumors of wars and rebellions. These things must happen. Things will get worse, not better. I think the argument's been made, and I think it's a pretty convincing one, that if you just step back in the scope of human history and just kind of look at the events that have happened, if you were to, if you were to try to choose what, what has been not really the most peaceful era of human history, but in fact the most violent, it's very likely that the, that the least peaceful time in human history was the 20th century the most violent, the most war, the most death, the most uh, uh, worldwide global like human oppression, the 20th century. You see, I, th I, think, I think what's happened is that uh, probably for sure much of our culture and perhaps many of us here this morning, we have bought into a cultural narrative that, that, we'll, call, uh, that we'll call the story of progressivism. And, and we've bought into that story. And here's what that story says. Here's what the story of progressivism says. The story of progressivism says that humanity is getting better, not worse. That the world is getting better, not worse. 
that what really moves the needle toward peace and harmony and tranquility and, and happiness and all of these ideals that, that we can agree like that, that are good, like the story of progressivism says that, that the way that we get there is through more information. We just, if we just have better access to better information, it's through more education. If we can just, just ensure that everybody worldwide has access to the best possible education, it's, it's, we'll achieve this through greater advancements in technology, greater advancements in science. Like, like, like really what we need to make the world a better place is, is better technology. When these things happen, then, then that will usher in peace and harmony. And while all of those things are certainly good, uh, I'm not trying to suggest in any way that they're bad, they're certainly good. There's, there's been great benefits to humanity, to society, to the world. But through all of those things, the reality is, is that if world peace could be achieved through human achievement alone, then why is it that the century marked by quite possibly the greatest advancements in technology, the greatest advancements in the dissemination of information, like what, what can't you look up these days? The greatest advancements in, in reducing poverty, in reducing hunger, in, in, making in making education available to as many people worldwide as possible. Like the 20th century has been marked by these things and yet it remains one of the most violent centuries in human history. How do you explain that? Why is that? It's because Peace on earth will never be achieved through pure political policy, through pure economic policy, through pure social policy. The, the peace on earth that the angels are singing about here in verse 14 is not some sort of, of human utopianism. It's not, the, it's not the angel's way of saying like, as long as you continue to get better, you will reach the end and then it will be great. Like you can achieve peace on earth. That's not what the angels are saying. Peace on earth is not political. Jesus didn't come to bring political peace. And he also didn't come to bring interpersonal peace, like peace between people. See, when these angels break into heavenly song, they're not declaring to these shepherds that glory to God in the highest and peace on earth. They're not saying that, that this Messiah has come to make it so that you can be friends with everybody. To make it so that, um, <laughs> to make it so that when you drive down the street, that everyone will wave at you. Maybe, maybe you grew up in a small town and you deal like, got, got like the two finger wave, you know, the little deal. Like the angels aren't saying, even if you go to like New York City, they're going to give you the two finger wave. Like right now you get the one finger wave and that's not what we're talking about. Like it'll be two fingers, not one. That's not what the angels are saying. They're not saying there will be interpersonal peace. Again, staying in the book of Luke, what well, we see in chapter 12, check this out, okay? Angels sing, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus says, 
do you think I came here to bring peace on earth? No. I tell you, but rather division. From now on, five in one household will be divided, three against two and two against three. He's saying that because of me, fathers will be against sons. Mothers will be against daughters. Mothers-in-law against daughters-in-law. Fathers-in-law against son-in-law. What's going on here? I thought in Luke 2, is it Jesus, did you forget to talk to your angels? Did you guys get a mixed up message? Like I thought that Jesus is supposed to bring peace on earth. Like Jesus, I thought you were supposed to bring peace. And what he's saying is not that kind of peace. The peace that he brings isn't mainly interpersonal peace. Because what Jesus is saying is, is he's saying, if I come into your life, there's going to be disturbance. The people you used to get along with, you'll no longer get along with them. The people who, who used to like you, who, who used to associate with you, who used to like being around you will now no longer like you as much. He's saying that because of me, if, if I come into your life, that your parents who were very excited about your path and about your direction and about, the, the, about your passions, very supportive all through your childhood of all the things you were passionate about. But if you become passionate about me, they won't be as supportive. That your children who loved you will find ways to not be around you. See, Jesus is saying, if I come into your life, there will not be less turmoil, there will be more. There will not be less division, there will be more. It's why Peter in 1 Peter 4, he says, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. Like, don't be surprised if on account of following Christ that your life doesn't get better, it in fact gets worse. See, the peace Jesus came to bring to earth isn't mainly political peace, peace between nations. It isn't mainly interpersonal peace, peace between people. So we have to ask the question then, so what is it? That's the only kind of peace that I had in mind. So if it isn't that kind of peace, then what kind of peace did Jesus come to bring? Well, in chapter one, Zechariah drops a gigantic breadcrumb of a clue for us to understand what exactly is the peace on earth that these angels are singing about. So Zechariah, you'll remember, he is the father of John the Baptist, who in Luke chapter one, as, as that chapter is wrapping up, Zechariah is, is praying this sort of prophecy over his son, John the Baptist, who was to be the forerunner to the Messiah. And so here is what Zechariah says as he's speaking over his son in Luke one, uh, starting in verse 76. He's talking, he's talking to John here. And he says, and you child, so John, will be called a prophet of the most high for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. Check this out. To give his, to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness 
of their sins. Because of our God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those living in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. You asked the question. We saw what this peace isn't. So what is this peace? This peace is, it's right there, the forgiveness of their sins. The peace that the angels are singing about is the forgiveness of sins. It's what Charles Wesley wrote in Hark the Herald Angels Sing. It's peace on earth, mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. This is the peace that Jesus came to bring. And so why is this peace then good news? Why is this peace good news? Um, we, we've, I've mentioned before that I know nothing about farming. All right, so uh, forgive me. I, I think this illustration still works, but if you're a farmer and I'm wrong, let me know later. Or don't, we'll just leave it. So, <laughs> so it, it's kind of like, it's always been interesting to me that the way that the weather is reported. Because uh, and if you're a weather person, no offense, um, but it's, it's weird to me that, that when weather people report the weather, they say it's, it's going to be a beautiful day. It's going to be a great day. And what they mean by, like, we speak of sunny days in very positive terms. Like, it's going to be a great day. So nice out today. Like, we, we desire sunny days, but then when it's rainy, it's like, oh, it's going to be a bad day. It's kind of gloomy. It's bad. It's rainy. But I go, but what if you're the farmer who desperately needs rain? Would not then a rainy day be a good day and a sunny day be a bad day? Like in the midst of a drought, if you're a farmer, you go, sunny day isn't good news. Rainy day is good news, which makes me go, you, you can only determine whether news is good or bad based on the condition of the recipient. And so why is this peace on earth through the forgiveness of sins good news? Why are the angels singing with joy about this peace on earth? Here's why. It's because peace is only good news in the midst of a battle. Peace is only good news if it comes in the face of a raging War In the midst of a raging war, peace is the most joyous news you could bring in the midst of a battle. And the reality is that every single one of us, whether you knew it or not walking in here this morning, every human being on the face of the earth is born at war with God. Every single one of us. You and I, we see cute little babies in bassinets and in strollers. But the truth is that we aren't born neutral. We aren't born neutral toward God and then become sinners by sinning. No, our natural default setting from a moment that our lives begin is as an enemy of God. If we could, we would throw our pacifier in his face and say, get out of my life. I wanna be in charge. 
Like, have you, you never have to teach your kids to sin. Maybe they do that to you. That's why you represent God's authority in their life. And we, as from the earliest moments of consciousness, we resist that. God, I don't want you to be in charge. It's great if you want to come into my life to help me with a few things, but the minute you start asking me to do something, to think something, to believe something that is against what I naturally want to do, then get out. We are enemies of God. And, and, and if, you don't, if you don't believe that to be true, then, then the reality probably is that you really don't know your own heart. See, when most of us talk about peace, we're usually talking about political peace. We're usually talking about political strife or family strife or relational strife or like emotional turmoil. Like maybe it's not this like uh, peace between nations or peace between pe people, but like this peace within yourself. But the reality is, is that before wars began to rage between nations and before wars and conflict began to rage between people or even within yourself, we were born at war against God. See, there is no true peace. There is no ultimate peace. There is no lasting peace without first having peace with God. This is the good news of peace on earth that the angels came to bring. This is the peace that the angels are singing about, not between nations, not between nation against nation, not between people against people, but between people against God. So what this peace isn't, it's not political, it's not interpersonal, it's not even primarily emotional. What this peace is, this peace that the angels are singing about is peace between people and God. So the question then has to be, how do we get it? If that's what it is, if Jake, what you're saying is true, that I've been, I've been at war with God since the moment of my birth, and I am in desperate need of peace with this God, how do I get it? Well, we've, we've highlighted the last several weeks that, uh, that the significance of this message coming to shepherds uh, is because it shows us the kind of people that Jesus came for. Like we don't, see, we don't see anything about kings. We don't see anything about, uh, about gold or frankincense or myrrh. We don't see that in the Luke account. What Luke is really trying to do is to show us the, the people Jesus came for. And he shows us that in one way by, saying, by showing us that this message first came to shepherds who were poor, who were lowly. The message first came to the poor and lowly because Jesus came to save the poor and lowly. The spiritually poor, the spiritually lowly. But it's not only that. It is that. But it's not only that. See, this message didn't come to shepherds to just show the kind of people he came for. Don't miss this. This message came to shepherds to also show us the kind of Savior Jesus came as. Here's what I mean. This was huge. This, this, this was so worshipful this week to see this. Yes, the, the shepherds were lowly, the shepherds were poor, but what else were shepherds? 
we're not shepherds. If, if you just kind of like had to distill down like the essence, if I, if I just had to do like a, a brief definition, like what is a shepherd? Are shepherds not also defenders of the weak? Caretakers of those unable to take care of themselves, of those unable to defend themselves. And where do we see this? We see this all throughout the Old Testament. See, the word shepherd wasn't just in reference to lowly and poor. Shepherd was also used throughout the Old Testament as a description of kings and judges. They would say that shepherd, that kings were shepherds of the people. Defenders of those unable to defend themselves by themselves. I mean, even look, at, even look at David, who wrote a lot of the Psalms. What was he before he was a king? He was a shepherd. He was a shepherd king from this little town of Bethlehem, who not only defended his sheep against lions and bears, but also defended God's people against Goliath. Shepherds were defenders of the weak. Shepherds, oh man, shepherds went into battle against predators of the sheep so that the sheep could have peace in green pastures. Shepherds put themselves in the path of harm for the protection of the sheep. Because honestly, what other option is there? Like how else would it, how else would sheep defend themselves? It's not like they're growing steel wool, okay? Like be like, yeah, get through that. You know, it's like no, sheep are like defenseless. They're like at, at, on the food chain, they're kind of at the bottom, okay? Like the only alternative in the face of a predator, the only option a sheep has is either the intervention of a shepherd or death. Like those are their two options. In the face of a lion, a sheep is sure hoping that the shepherd is aware of the threat and is there to mitigate it. Shepherds don't just show us who Jesus came for. Shepherds show us the kind of savior Jesus came as. See, Jesus Christ was born in a sheep cave. Not in a barn, get that out of your head. He was born in a sheep cave where shepherds kept their sheep. And like David, Jesus is the true and greater shepherd king of God's flock. You see, when we were alienated and hostile in our minds toward God, that's Colossians 1. When we were dead, when we were spiritually dead, physically alive, spiritually dead, hostile toward God, that's Ephesians 2. When all we like sheep have gone astray, Isaiah 53, Jesus Christ, the true and greater shepherd he was pierced for our transgressions. He was wounded for our iniquities. The punishment for our peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. You see, Jesus put himself in the path of God's wrath so that we could have peace with God. Jesus is the true and greater shepherd who puts himself in harm's way to defend lowly, poor, unable to defend themselves, sheep. Don't you see? The angels sang peace on earth that Christmas night because the only one who could bring us peace with God had been born on earth that night. How can you have peace on earth? How can you have peace? 
this Christmas by having peace beyond earth. You can only have peace on earth if you have peace beyond earth. Have you received peace with God through Jesus Christ? Have you received this peace? Have you responded in faith to this great gift of salvation? You are at war with God and in need of a good shepherd to defend you in the face of the wrath of God towards your sin. Have you received this work of this good shepherd this morning? You ask, how, how do I do that? How, how do I receive this salvation through Jesus Christ? What a great question. It's so simple. Oh, it's not complicated. Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. You know what Lord means, right? It means master. It means the one who is in charge. Like you relinquish control. Like you cease from your striving. You say, I'm no longer in charge of my life. Jesus is Lord. He's the one who calls the shots now. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that after he took the wrath of God on your behalf on a Roman cross and was buried three days later, he rose again in victory so that you might have life. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. Do you notice what is missing in that formula? Any work on your part, all you simply need to do is acknowledge what Christ has already done for you. Receive peace with God through Jesus Christ. You might say, Jake, I've already received this peace with God uh, through faith in Christ. I, I've confessed him as Lord and, and admittedly it's a struggle to live in accordance with that confession, but by the power of the spirit, I'm, I'm, I'm walking in obedience and praying that he helps me in that. So I've done that. So what's my response? I think it's verse 19 and 20. Look at Luke 2, 19 and 20. What's the response of those who have seen and received this peace with God? But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. When you see and receive peace with God through Jesus Christ, you will treasure this in your heart. You will meditate on this day and night. And as you meditate by your mind and treasure in your heart, you will then go and glorify and praise God in the midst of other people. The shepherds, Cody hit this last week. The shepherds didn't have to be commanded to go and do this. It wasn't like you've seen this. Now, now make sure that you go and tell everybody, All right? No, like they had seen this and they couldn't, it bubbled up within them and overflowed out of them because they had seen something of great worth that had become a great treasure. So if it's true that what we most often meditate on is what is an indicator of what we most greatly treasure, how in the world do we, as those who have received peace with God, how do we change what our heart treasures? I think what has to happen is that you change on what you, you have to change what your mind meditates on. What consumes your mind. So how do you meditate on peace with God through Christ? How do you do that? 
How do you continue to refocus what your mind meditates on in order to reorient what your heart treasures? How do you do that? Well, you'll notice that this week, our graphic, it's kind of hard to see on the screen, um, but the, the picture for this week for peace is a dove with an olive branch in its mouth. And this wasn't just a, a fun design that our graphic designer came up with. This comes from the book of Genesis. Uh, you've probably heard of the, of the flood account. Uh, it comes from Genesis, where in Genesis 8, as, as the waters have stopped and Moses uh, and Noah, Moses, gosh, and Noah is curious. <laughs> He's wanting to know, like, it, like, is the water going down? And he sends out a dove and the dove comes back with nothing. And then he does it again. He sends out a dove and a, and a dove comes back with an olive branch in its mouth. And an indicator of the waters of God's wrath receding from the earth. And what we see in Genesis is that Noah and his family come out of the ark and God makes a promise, he makes a covenant. And what he says to Noah and his family, he says, I will never again flood the earth in my wrath. And as a sign of the covenant of the promise that he had made, what, is he, what does he give as a sign? A rainbow. But here's, here's, the, here's the problem with that. There is no Hebrew word for rainbow. It's just bow. Like a, like a bow and arrow, like a war bow. Like the greatest technological advancement at that time in warfare was the bow and arrow. And so when God tells Noah, I have hung my bow in the sky, what he is saying to him is, I have hung my war bow in the clouds. But have you ever noticed the direction that a rainbow is facing? When God hangs his war bow in the clouds, the way that it is facing is no longer down at earth. But in the words of Sally Lloyd-Jones, it's now facing up into the heart of heaven. Because don't you see, many years later, the true and greater shepherd king would take God's arrow of wrath toward our sin upon himself so that we could receive peace with God. This, this truth has been so monumental in, in the life of our family because over the past 12 years, we have gone through five miscarriages. Tremendous turmoil, tremendous strife, tremendous suffering. A, a, a lady by the name of Kathy Keller has done a lot of work on this and it's tremendously helped us as we have, as we have grieved. And so we, we stole this from her. But if you come over to our house uh, this afternoon, whenever, and you walk into our house, you'll find uh, hanging on the windows uh, in many of the rooms, you'll find these little um, prisms, these little crystals. They're, they're on Amazon, <laughs> they're not expensive. They're suction cup to the windows. And we've hung them there because throughout the day, as the sun shifts kind of around our house and the light comes through the window and hits those crystals just right, in different rooms of our house, it'll fill the room with dancing little rainbows to serve for us as a reminder of the peace that we have with God through the finished work of Christ. 
that Christ has taken the arrow of God's war bow into himself so that we can receive peace, so that no matter the turmoil, no matter the strife, no matter the suffering, no matter the hardship, no matter the, the division that we experience within this life, that our greater problem, that our greater battle, that the greater war that we rage has been taken care of. That no matter how much we suffer in this life, that Jesus has taken care of our greatest suffering and our greatest need, which is peace with God. And so as those, rain, as those rainbows dance around the room, even in the midst of suffering, we are reminded of God's peace through Christ. How do you meditate on peace with God through Jesus Christ? Surround yourself with reminders of his work. Surround yourself with reminders of his word. What do we see so often in the Bible? Remember, 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 remember when I brought you out from the land of Egypt. Remember, we're so prone to forget. Surround yourself with reminders. That's the very reason we've done these cards. It's not the only way to, but it's a good way to, to take the truths of who God is and what he has done and put them in very visible places to remind us to, mitigate, to, to meditate once again on the finished work of Christ and the peace with God that we have. And as we do that, our heart will begin to treasure and our mouths will begin to speak the glories and praises of this great God who has brought us peace with Christ. How can you have peace on earth, on earth this Christmas? Peace on earth only comes when you have peace beyond earth. And when you have peace with God, you will then become a person of peace. That though you have division and disagreement and conflict with other people that when your hope is anchored in the peace that you have with God, you can now then pursue peace with others. Because the greatest strife that we have has been taken care of by Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for the peace that you have accomplished on our behalf through Christ. Holy Spirit, I pray for the person who, who is listening to my voice this morning, who has not yet received your peace through Jesus' finished work. Oh Lord, I pray that today that they would confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that you raised him from the dead. Would today be the day of salvation? Would this year be the first year that they truly experience your Christmas peace? Lord, I pray you would help us to remember, to meditate, to treasure, to glorify and praise you as we remember what you have done in Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. This has been a message from Candeo Church. To learn more about us or to hear more messages, visit us at candeochurch.com.